In the name of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Amen. What do you think of when you hear the word evangelist? Maybe you think of someone on TV that's saying, if you just give more money to the church, God is going to bless you with more money. Or maybe if you grew up like me in a not too normal Episcopal church, if there is such thing as a normal Episcopal church, you might have heard of the Evangel Cube. Any Evangel Cube knowers out there? No. Okay. Well, let me tell you about it. It's like a little Rubik's Cube, about three inches, and it has six pictures on it. And there's a really nice picture of like Jesus on there on the cross and then Jesus being resurrected and there's like heaven and hell and not normal uh, Episcopal evangelization tool fodder. I invite you to look that up on, on Google. Um, but today we are celebrating the feast of St. Luke the Evangelist. And evangelist means someone who bears the good news of Jesus Christ all over the world and doesn't have a specific people group that they are meant to stay and shepherd. So if you want a farming metaphor, they're the ones who throw out the seeds and someone else is going to come back and tend the soil and raise the plants. St. Luke's feast day is typically celebrated on October 18th, but we are able to move it to this Sunday because St. Luke is part of our namesake for this church. And he is traditionally believed to be the author of the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, and is beloved for many other reasons as well. For being a physician, a companion of Paul, and for his emphasis on Jesus Christ as Lord, the one sent by God in fulfillment of all Jewish messianic prophecies. These last three should sound familiar as they're lifted up in our scriptures for the day. Sirach tells us of the gift that physicians are to us and how we owe honor to God for putting them here on earth to assist in our healing. And Paul's letter to Timothy tells us that only Luke remains with him as death draws near. And our gospel from Luke, of course, describes Jesus in the synagogue reading prophetic words from Isaiah and then in no uncertain terms claiming, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. But what none of these lectionary texts can do is capture the genius of Luke's writing. St. Luke is to the gospel writers as J.R.R. Tolkien is to the Inklings. The Inklings is the name given to Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, and a host of other folks who met at a pub called The Eagle and the Child 
in Oxford to discuss their writing. And if you have ever watched the films made from The Lord of the Rings or read the books themselves, what should strike you are the number of languages that Tolkien uses for his characters. See, Tolkien was a linguistic genius. He had learned several languages by his middle school years and even more in adulthood. And this is reflected in how he handles the various races of the people of Middle-earth. Each group has their own language reflective of their character and function in the story. The Ents, the giant tree-like creatures, have names that would take years to fully articulate because they are old creatures and their language is slow, deep, and lengthy. And the elves have a language that seems to float off the tongue, kind of ethereal. And the orcs have a very crude and choppy and <clears throat> kind of language. And you know what? St. Luke does something similar with his gospel. It's something that we miss because we're not reading it in Greek. The Oxford Annotated Bible tells us that the Greek that Luke used at the beginning of his gospel is highly stylized. It's written in a refined fashion that would have been familiar to the well-educated citizens of the Greco-Roman era. He then shifts into a more Semitic-influenced version of Greek for the stories that are surrounding the birth and childhood of Jesus. And in the end, he switches to a more secular Greek, one that was considered more normal for the times, one we might know as Koine. And the point that my Oxford Annotated Bible is trying to make is that when situations shift in Luke's Gospel, the kind of Greek he uses shifts to appropriately suit the locale and the characters in the narrative. The result is that readers from different religious, ethnic, and social backgrounds would find one level or another of the overall account to which they could relate. Thereby, they have a point of identity and entry into the story of Jesus. Luke was making the gospel relevant to the lives of the people that he was trying to reach. It's relevant from the very beginning. And this, my friends, is the work of an evangelist. We are to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to others in a way that is contextually relevant and culturally appropriate. And Luke was very clear 
that the good news is suitable for everyone. He underscores the importance of women in his gospel, letting us know that they are the funders, the bankrollers, if you will, of the Jesus movement. The good news has come to and is supported by women. And like our gospel passage today reflects, Luke also underscores that there is good news for those who suffer. Jesus has come proclaiming release and recovery. And these are great messages. But when I turn on the TV and I flip on the news and I see violence in the Middle East, I have to, rem- I have to admit that I wonder Where is the good news? I see people who are so committed to their faith and their faith's connection to a specific location and a specific culture that they are willing to destroy others at any cost. And I turn my eye back on myself and my location here in Norfolk, as I've been told. (laughs) And I wonder, how do I proclaim the good news in a way that is contextually relevant and culturally appropriate? How do I share something that is so life-giving for me and not cling to it so tightly that I destroy the community around me in the process. And the answer to this question is going to be different for every person. Some people will proclaim the good news with words, like we priests are called to do. Others might speak through their actions, But I think at the root of all of the answers is something that St. Luke wants us to understand. We need to be abundantly clear about what the good news is. We need to understand that it is bound up with a history, a people, with prophecies, and a covenantal lifestyle. Jesus didn't just like poof, out of nowhere. He was born in a specific time and a specific place in fulfillment of things long expected, but in an unexpected way. They wanted a political ruler and they received someone who was killed like a common thief. This means that the good news that we have in Jesus Christ, the freedom, the recovery, the abundant life, is not going to look like something we expect. Taking us back to the Inklings for a moment, it's one of the many reasons that C.S. Lewis chose a lion to be his Jesus figure. In The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, one of the children 
asking about the lion, asks if he is safe. And the beavers reply, safe, safe. Of course he's not safe, but he is good. And the point is that God is good. Throughout time, God has steadfastly fulfilled God's promises to us. And in the words of St. Paul, we have to trust that he who has started a good work in us will bring it to completion. It's just like Father Noah was saying last week, we have to be comfortable with not knowing the how. And like St. Paul tells Timothy, may we be ever evangelists for the good news. Amen.